You're listening to the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. So we've been running for a while with uh, these Mishnayot, which are all variously connected to eating and carrying. And of course, eating and carrying, those are the two activities which are different on Shabbat and on Yom Tov. Yeah, Shabbat is like Yom Tov, except for eating and carrying. Of course, it's different tomorrow because tomorrow is both Shabbat and Yom Tov. So we're going through these Mishnayot and we've noticed that they are loosely associated. So very often the end point of one Mishnah is going to be, is going to give a mental connection to the beginning point of the following Mishnah. And we've noticed this pattern, by the way, I would say for three or four, I must have mentioned this three or four times in the last, in, in the last week or so. It's a very, very, seems to be a very common pattern in these chapters. And we mentioned before, it's, you see this pattern in Tehillim over the, the holiday. I definitely recommend just looking at Ashray and just trying to see how the back half of one verse links into the front half of the one that follows it and how it, it work goes up like a ladder in that fashion. Now, we close the fourth Mishnah in the fifth chapter of Beitzah with a question about borrowing water. We're going to borrow water to, um, we're going to borrow water to make dough. And the question arose as to, okay, where can you carry that dough? Because the flour might belong to one person and the water might belong to somebody else. And essentially, the Mishnah says, look, you know, you have to observe the restrictions of both individuals because that is shared dough. But Rabbi Yudah disagrees. Rabbi Yudah says, Rabbi Yudah Poter, he exempts because he says, She'en bahen mamash. There's no substance in water. Lending out water just doesn't, it doesn't have any meaning because water doesn't have any substance. Now, we're going to carry on now with the fifth Mishnah in the case of another object which doesn't have any substance. And this object is the direct opposite of the water. It is fire. Obviously, a burning object has substance because the object itself, right, is a real object. But the flame, does the flame have substance? That is the question that the Mishnah is going to investigate. A live coal is like the feet of the owners. In other words, we can carry it around, but within whatever Shabbat limit the owners are subject to. So if I have made an Eruv and it's my coal, I can take it within the Eruv I have set. If my, um, my friend has made a different Eruv, well... He can't carry it in his Erev because it's my coal. That coal only moves in my Erev, even if he's carrying it. And by the way, it could have been pretty common by in time of time of the Mishnah if we don't have matches. And we've already established the fact that we're not going to create a new fire on Yom Tov. Carrying a coal to start a fire might have been quite a usual thing to do. Um, so probably very likely, you know, very possible that a friend could have knocked on the door of my house and said, look, can I borrow a coal? Because I need to start a fire. Very, very common occurrence. But anyway, the coal belongs to the owner. Um, 
hagachalet karaglei habahalem. But what about the flame? Vishal hevet b'chol makom. The flame can be taken anywhere. I.e., if my neighbor had knocked on my door with a candle and said, can I light my candle from your coal? And then walked off with the flame, i.e. with the candle. He can walk wherever he likes. That's essentially within his reshut. Taking a flame from my fire is not considered something of substance. It's like the water. It has no substance. I mean, you could say economically it has substance because he's carrying a fire. He's carrying fire from my fire. But he's lit his candle. So just like the water and the opinion of Rabbi died has no substance, the flame can be taken anywhere. And we'll see the same. Now we're going to go sort of go sideways onto issues of trespass. What if you stole or misused or accidentally took a coal or a flame belonging to the baby dash? A live coal of sanctified property is subject to me'ila. That means, me'ila is a technical word for tres- basically trespass and holy property, but we have to bring a special asham and we have to rectify it. We have to bring a special guilt offering. In other words, the coal has substance. Vishalhevet lo nehenim velo mo'alin. With respect to a flame, we don't derive benefit from it. So, okay, so you couldn't, you shouldn't really walk to the temple with your candle and light it from the altar flame. You're not supposed to benefit from a fire going on in the temple. But if you do that, if you do that, there's no trespass. You're not considered to have stolen something from the temple. You don't have to bring an asham. You don't have to bring a, a guilt offering. And similarly, this is on Shabbat, by the way. Someone who brings a live coal out into the public property is Chayav, has to bring a sin offering because he's carried in the public on Shabbat. And a flame somehow doesn't, he's not, with a flame, he's exempt. Now, how you bring a flame into public property without actually bringing the candle out is not quite clear. Gahati suggests maybe you blow it. Maybe you blow over the border from public to private. But it seems it's a slightly weird analogy. And it's very interesting, by the way, that this part of the Mishnah applying to Shabbat is not in our manuscript. It's not in Kaufman. I brought it to you just because it's in the printed text. But it's not in Kaufman. The Rift doesn't mention it. The Meiri doesn't mention it. Other commentators don't mention it. So it seems to have crept in somehow to the text, at least to the printed text of our Mishnah. But it's not in the manuscripts. So let's go on to other things that may or may not have substance. Bor shel yachid yachid. Someone who owns a well. The well... Uh, an individual's well is like the feet of the individual. And of course, this applies to water coming out of the well. So the, if you want to carry the water on Yom Tov, it depends on the air of the person who owns the well. But if, if it's a town well, it's like the feet of the people in that town, which I presume would mean a minimal distance. And if it belong, if it's one of those set up by the Ole Bavel, the, the Ole Bavel were those who came up from Babylon. And I think they actually established wells on the way 
so as to help other travellers on the road. I think that's the meaning of the wells belonging to those who came up from Babylon. It's an amazing idea, really. These people are coming from Babylon. They're coming to Eretz Israel, And in order to make the, the way, just like setting up base camp and first camp and second camp on Mount Everest, in order to make it possible for others to follow them, they're going to dig wells on their way. Really interesting that the Mishnah is thinking about returning to the land of Israel as it closes the tractate. So a well from those who came up from Babylon is like the feet of the person who fills, i.e. fills the bucket, in other words, drawing the water. So this water is considered hefker, it has no owner, and anyone can take it. And by the way, if you held that um, a hefker object actually establishes its own place on Shabbat, then you would disagree with this Mishnah. I think Yonatan ben Nuri I think Yohanan ben Nuri disagrees with this Mishnah. But if you consider something hefker to be ownerless and placeless, then you can draw the water from it and then you can take it within your own 2,000 damod. What about if you had your produce in another town? Someone who had his produce in another town. But the inhabitants of that the inhabitants of that city made an eruv in order to bring to him of his produce. So they make an eruv to bring my produce to him. And the Mishnah says, they can't do that. And of course, from everything we know, well of course not, because it's not their produce, it's my produce. The the produce is going to be like, if you like, my legs. And their Eruv has no impact on my legs. So they can't do that. But, But if he himself made an Eruv, then his produce is like himself. In other words, I can make an Eruv to carry my fruit around. I can't make an Eruv to carry someone else's fruit around. The the Eruv has to go with the ownership of the fruit or the produce. And then, so what if I gave someone some food? What if I gave someone some food on Yom Tov? Mishazimen etzlo orchem, someone who invited guests to their home. And from context, by the way, this is obviously guests who are coming from another city via an Eruv. And in just, I wasn't sure you'd believe me if I said that. And I actually brought the bar to Nura just below just to prove that that's what we're talking about. Because this Mishmah makes no sense otherwise. We know perfectly well you can send food and, and you, we can send portions to your friends. Uh, you know, you're, you can send portions to your friends and neighbours on Yom Tov. But this is different. Someone who invited guests to their home from far away, they've come via an Erev. He can't send away portions with them. Unless he'd assign them their portions on the eve of Yom Tov. Because they came via the Eruv. So they can't take my portions. They can take their stuff, but they can't take my stuff in their Eruv. So maybe if I, for example, assign to them remotely, the portions before Yom Tov, then they'd own the portions. <laughs> I could say, oh yeah, that lump of meat is for that person and I actually assigned someone to make a kinyan. And then I suppose they would own it before they made their Eruv and then everything will be fine. But 
Otherwise, they can't take away portions with them. And of course, this is, again, we need to think back to the life of the Mishnah, just as carrying a coal might have been incredibly important. Carrying food was probably incredibly important too, because, I mean, today, if there's leftover food, we just put it in the fridge or the freezer, but they didn't have fridges. So if there was leftover food, you'd give it to your guests to take home. Absolutely. And then finally, and here the Mishnah closes. I'm not quite sure why the Mishnah closes here. We don't water and slaughter field animals. This is on Yom But we do water and slaughter domesticated animals. The connection between watering and slaughtering is a bit obscure. There's a suggestion in the Rambam that... Um, it might make them easier to flay, easier to skin if they if they had a good drink before they're killed, or maybe it helps you know um, maybe it helps check for blemishes. Not sure about I mean the, the connection is obscure anyway. There might be different reasons for it, but essentially, a, a wild animal, a field animal, is not considered to be designated to be prepared for yomtiv because we haven't gone out and said I'm going to. I'm going to slaughter that animal. Remember with the dovecote, the guy goes to the the owner goes to the dovecote and says, I'm going to eat these three doves on Yom Tov. He designates them. And if a fourth one flies in, it's a big problem. But domesticated animals seem to be different. It seems like a domesticated animal is assumed to be prepared for Yom Tov. These are domesticated animals. Hala not ba'ir. If they sleep in town, they're domesticated. If they sleep in your house, if you've got the goat sleeping in your house, it's domesticated. It's assumed to be ready for Yom Tov. Mid bariot, hala not ba'afar. The domesticated ones, the, the field animals are the ones that sleep in the meadow or in the, in the afar literally means the dirt. They, they sleep out there in the field anyway, in the meadow. And that is the, it's a puzzling end. That is a slightly puzzling end to the Mishnah of Beitzah. But anyway, we are for, we are circling round the issues of eating and carrying, which are the two essential qualities of Yom Tov. And I hope, you know, uh, we can eat and carry this upcoming Yom Tov. And remember that um, Carrying is in a really, really important part of the Mishnah of Shabbat. It occupies about half the Mishnah of Shabbat. So we shouldn't be surprised that the rabbis come back to it when they're discussing the rules of Yom Tov. That is the end of the tractate of Beit Sar. Hadran alach masechet Beit Sar vehadrach alan. We will return to you, tractate Beit Sar, and you will return to us. Da'atan alach masechet Beit Sar vedatach alan. Our mind is on you, tractate Beit Sar, certainly through the next few days, and your mind is on us. We will not forget you, tractate Beit Sar, and you will not forget us. Not in this world and not in the next world. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict.